all. Um, one of the joys of my job as a professor is I get a chance to go around preaching places. And so the dean and president of my institution came to me one day and said, I have a great idea. It's always interesting when your boss has a great idea. It typically means more work for you. But this particular task I was excited about because he said to me, I would like for you in lieu of our 200th anniversary, which is in five years, um, I would like for you to preach 200 sermons wow. between now and then. Wow. Wow. Awesome. Wow. Um, and so my immediate thought was, man, that's a very interesting request. But I said yes. I said yes before I added it up. I said yes before I had any dates. I just said yes. Like, you know, asking a preacher to preach, what am I supposed to do? Um, and so the beautiful thing is that my opportunity to preach my 200 sermons has started, and this is my first stop. Amen. And so I am extremely glad to share this experience with you. And so this, this opportunity will take me around the world and seminaries and all types of other places, but um, Macedonia AME and Academic Virginia is giving me an opportunity to uh, start my journey, and I appreciate that. Before I begin, I'd like to say one other thing. The Eastern Shore is a very special place to me and my family, for I preached my very first sermon ever in life on the Eastern Shore. Yeah. So that was 18 years ago. Oh, wow. So I've been preaching for 18 years and started down the street at Gaskins Chapel, and um, the Lord has allowed me to kind of move around since then. And so it has been a, it's been a, a tremendous pleasure to come back to this space that has given me an opportunity to know myself and to be able to share with my kinfolk. Um, uh, the Jefferson family has labored hard for the AME Church, and um, we are we are deeply committed to the Church of Island and. I'm glad to be here with you all. If you have your Bibles, would you uh, find the Gospel of Luke for me? Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. We're going to approach this theme a little different today, if you don't mind. Luke, chapter 9, and we're going to pick up at verse 51. Luke 9 and 51. If you have it, say, I have it. If you don't say, please wait. I got a couple of fleets ways. I heard you back there. I heard you. I heard you. If you do, uh, when you're able to find it, would you uh, stand on your feet if you're able? I won't hold you long, but I promise to hold you tight. All right. There we go. You have Luke chapter 9, verses, starting at verse 51. I'm feeling old school today, so I'm going to read from the King James, if you don't mind. Yeah. Read from the King James, if you don't mind. My, my grandmother would approve. <laughs> and it came to pass, when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face, and they went entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him because his face was though as he will go to Jerusalem. Amen. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou we command fire to come down from heaven and consume all of them, even as Elias did? 
But Jesus turned and rebuked them and said, you know not what manner of spirit you speak of. For the son of man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. And it came to pass as they went into a certain way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Jesus said unto him, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the son of man hath nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead, but go and preach the kingdom of God. And another said, Lord, I will follow thee, but first let me bid my family farewell, which are at home in my house. And Jesus said unto them, no man, having put his hand to the plow, and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You may be seated. Verse 51 will help to set our preaching parameters. As it came to pass, when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Would you bow here for a word of prayer? Gracious Lord, we thank you. You have been so kind to us. You have been so loving to us. And we are here to give your name all the praise. Bless our time together. Allow the gospel to go forth with clarity and with power. May lives be transformed and destinies altered so that we'll be able to see you as you are face to face one day. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. For the time that is ours on this men's day where we are having men being built, they are under construction. I want to deal with the aspect of faith. And so the title for our sermon today is called Face Off. Face Off. There's a face off. Okay. Okay. Face off. The scene begins to pick up in the Gospel of Luke. For the first nine chapters, it seems to kind of meander along. The first few chapters telling us about who this Jesus fellow might be. He is descended from these great people. He is a cousin to John the Baptist. The text begins to kind of ease into understanding who this one called Messiah would be. But theologians and scholars suggest that around this particular part in the Gospel of Luke, around chapter 9 and around verse 51, something happens in the text. Something happens in Jesus' story and where the life that he was living began to hit the accelerator button. As he began to move closer to Jerusalem, he began to narrow his focus. And as he narrowed his focus, time began to speed up. Jesus, as the text says, he set his face or he focused his attention or the direction he was facing became the object of his desire. Jesus went from dealing with all of this to setting his face. Now, Jesus setting his face may not seem like much except for he set his face toward Jerusalem. Jerusalem 
is a place that is fraught with danger. For in Jerusalem, Jesus would die. In Jerusalem, we have the religious officials and the political officials working together to keep the oppressed people down. In Jerusalem, we have economic practices that extort the money of those of the working class. In Jerusalem, we have those who are talking about God, yet living ungodly lives. And so Jesus was facing Jerusalem with all of this danger. People who would say that they loved him, but yet offer him up on a cross. But it was also a place of destiny. Because Jerusalem, if you look at the Bible, right? The Gospel of Luke, the book of Acts were written by the same person. And so it's almost like a part one and a part two. So the the Gospel of Luke is moving us toward Jerusalem. And then the book of Acts takes us away from Jerusalem out to the rest of the world. So Jerusalem is the center of the story that Luke is trying to tell us. So Jesus is seeing the danger, I'm going to die. The danger, people are going to walk out on me. The danger, my disciples will leave me. But I also see the destiny because out of Jerusalem, the church would spring. Out of Jerusalem, the Gentiles would be saved. Out of Jerusalem, the world would come to know Christ is king. But this could only happen if Jesus set his face. Now, my sister and my brother, particularly my brothers for this Sunday, we are struggling because we have too many distracted disciples. Ah. We have too many people claiming the name of Christ, Uh yet they have not set their face on the one that they say they follow. It is easy to be distracted if I don't know what I'm looking at. It's easy to worry about the Twitter feed and worry about what's on Facebook and I'm on the telephone trying to figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. Not realizing that my, my inability to focus has me hypnotized mm-hmm. by low-hanging fruit. So Jesus fixes his attention on the danger. He fixes his attention on the destiny. He sees Jerusalem in front of them. And there's something about when a man gets his act together and he can focus his attention on why he's on earth and what he's supposed to do that brings conviction to his actions. Is there anybody here who knows what it's like to set your face on a task and set your face on something and then you Uh work to see it through? So Jesus, the incarnate one, God in flesh, came down to redeem us by going through Jerusalem. So Jesus coming down faces the thing that would scare most of us. Are you afraid to face your Jerusalem? Are you afraid to face that thing that is requiring of you something deeper and something more? Something that requires you to focus and to lock in and to eliminate distractions because you know there's something at stake. The text says when he realized his time had come, he had to focus on the task at hand. It's amazing how serious you get 
when you focus on the task at hand. It's amazing how you don't have time for silly conversation when you're focused on the task at hand. Yeah. It's amazing when you're really trying to save money. It's amazing all the things you don't need because you've set your face on something. So Jesus and his disciples are on this path headed toward Jerusalem. Jesus is walking along this path and I love Jesus because Jesus is many things but in this, in this text Jesus is the maker of men. Every person that he encounters in this text is a man. But he's dealing with the man or dealing with men who have different issues going on with their masculinity that they've got to work out. Interesting. So Jesus is making disciples by making men while he's on his way to the cross. Can you make disciples while you're on your way to your cross? Can you dig deep and push out all the danger and all the fear and attend to the work that you've been given. Wow. So Jesus on the path is walking. He's facing Jerusalem. And a fellow hollers out, I'll follow you. Now, that's interesting to me that someone would say, I'll, I'll follow you. But the text says something particularly keen right here in verse 59. The text reads right here. The man, the first man, actually, Jesus actually gave this person an invitation. So, so consider this. You have three people in the text. You have two people who invited themselves in. And one person that Jesus invited. So Jesus says to one guy, follow me. God says, hey, man, I, I, I want to follow you, but I've got people back home. Another guy says, I want to follow, but I have dead a dead relative who's about to die. But we begin with Jesus saying, follow me. This invitation is interesting to me. Follow me. Follow me is a short phrase of introduction, a short phrase of invitation. Follow me. Not follow me towards something. But if you are focused on me yeah. and I'm focused on Jerusalem, yeah. Therefore, we have to have a face off. Because if I'm focused this way, and if you're looking at me saying you want to follow me, and I turn my attention to you, you have to then face the direction I'm facing, or you can't go. Oh, that's real. Yeah. So what we have in the text is a face-off with these different men bringing different issues to Jesus about their level of discipleship. So I want to follow you, Jesus. I see you're facing this way. But if I refuse to face the way that you're facing, I am therefore opting out of discipleship. I don't want to be a disciple if I don't want to face what you're facing. If I want the easy life, this is not for me. If I want the life of comfort, this is not for me. If I want the life of relative ease and middle class chilling, then this is not for me. Because Jesus confronts and faces these men at the place 
of their discipleship. He faces them at the place of their identity. He faces them as he faces Jerusalem. So my sister and brother, what we have in the text is a face-off. There's something about when we look at Jesus, we see a whole lot more of ourselves than we see of anything else. Looking to Jesus has a way of turning our energy back on us, almost like a theological mirror. So that when I look at Jesus, I have to see myself. And when I see myself, I see all the ways that I have not made the cut. That's real. That's real. And so now I am faced with the question. I mean, I have a quandary that I find myself in as a disciple. Do I really want to follow? Do I really want to follow? That's the relevant question. That's the real question. Because if I don't want to follow, I don't want to waste Jesus' time if I'm on the road. Jesus has some place to be. So if I'm not serious, I need to let him be great. That's real. And allow myself to be mediocre. But if I have the inkling that there's something more than what I have already, if I have the inkling that God wants to do something more at work than what's been happening, if I have the feeling that God is at work, then I've got to meet God where God's working. This text teaches us three things I want to show us about this, the nature of this face-off that we're engaging. Okay. I want to, I want to just, just quickly go over three things that help us to understand. Number one, Jesus faces our need for certainty. Hmm. He faces our need for certainty. The text says in 57... And the messenger sent before his face, they went and entered into a village. They wanted to burn it down. And so think about this. Jesus is about to die. He's making disciples. These disciples have been with him for a good little while. Okay. They are rejected. Therefore, they want to send fire down and burn people up. Oh, my. Oh. Oh, wow. They've been walking with Jesus. Yeah. And because... Something didn't happen that they thought they were going to call fire down and burn up a whole village. These disciples who've been around Jesus are showing that they haven't really got the concept. That's real. That's real. That they want vindication for their situation. Jesus being frustrated said, look, I'm finna die. I don't have all day to be dilly-dallying with you. I need you to get this lesson. So let's pay attention and learn from this gentleman here. It came to pass as that when they went to a way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee wherever thou goest. I will follow thee wherever thou goest. Jesus looks at him. This is, where, this is the beautiful thing of the text. The text doesn't tell us the man's name, where he's from or anything. Mm-hmm. But Jesus' reply tells us everything we need to know about the man. He said, I'll follow you wherever you go. He invites himself to be a disciple. Fine. Jesus says to him, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but I don't have a place to call my own. Now, 
For a fox to have a hole is a natural condition. That's true. That's true. For a bird to have a nest is a natural condition. So for Jesus not to have a place of certainty is his natural condition. So if you are looking for a situation that is smooth and laid out, you're going to be chronically frustrated because Jesus is saying the life of a disciple is not a life of constant comfort. And so foxes having holes and birds having nests are situations that they are inhabitable in. They know how to navigate that. Jesus says, I know how to navigate hard times. I know how to navigate interesting political and religious dynamics. I know how to do that. The question is, do you have enough faith to trust me even when the outcome is not certain? That's real. That's real. I like that. Do you have enough faith to wrestle with the fact that if it doesn't go the way I think, it's still good. Mm. So before the gentleman gets revved up to go, he says, I'm not telling you you're not going to go. I'm not telling you to, that you can't go. But I want to confront your need for certainty. Because your need for certainty will cripple your ability to have faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if you are worshiping the need for certainty, then you make certainty an idol and then you're guilty of idolatry. Whoa. So Jesus says, I'm going to have a face off with your need for certainty. Do you have to have everything lined out before you walk? Do you have to see every step before you begin to travel? Do you have to know everything before you step out in faith? If such is the case, then my sister and my brother, that might not be faith. That's real. That's real. For a disciple, you must know that you are facing the same thing Jesus is facing. And as Jesus faces off with our certainty, Jesus is saying, my life has been filled with uncertainties, but it has an overall certainty of I'm in God's hand. So I can do this because I'm in God's hand. And so I want to know, is there anybody here who feels empowered? Because no matter what you go through, no matter how how uncertain situations feel, God has a way of taking care of you, even in the midst of uncertainty. Number two, there's a face-off in terms of our relationships. Our relation is a face-off. Something has to change in terms of our relationships. The gentleman says, okay. Hmm. Jesus says to the man, follow me. Mm -hmm. Follow me was a good enough invitation for a couple of disciples. That's true. Follow me and they left their boat. Follow me and left their family. Follow me, and they left everything they knew mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just by saying, follow me. Mm-hmm. I don't know how Jesus said it. Maybe it was real smooth when he said, follow me. <laughs> Maybe it was real big, follow me. I don't know how he said it, but those words made the difference in how other disciples responded. That's real. Jesus says to another fellow, follow me. He gives the same invitation 
that they gave the other disciples. But this guy has a story. Well, uh, you know, uh, I would follow you, but I need to first go home and bury my father. Now, that's a valid request. You should get a hall pass for that. You should be able to get out of class with that, right? My, my daddy finna die. Like, I should be able to go. But Jesus' response to me was kind of like, wow. Let the dead bury the dead and go preach the kingdom. It's amazing that Jesus got serious and now he don't have time for games no more. He would have high-fived them a couple chapters back. Come on, come on. Yeah. Now, look. That situation is what it is. Now, yes, you have the right to go do that. But I want to deal with your relationship because you're putting this earthly relationship in a position above a heavenly relationship. Wow. He said, I'll follow you, but first, How do you tell the God of the universe, uh -huh. I'm going to do this thing, but first, how is there a first before God? Yeah. So he says, before I can be faithful, yeah. I need to attend to these relationships. Now, I am leery of people who tell me they've encountered Christ, but the nature of their relationships have not changed. Because if you are facing Jesus and Jesus is facing Jerusalem, therefore there's going to be a competing interest about whose way is the way. So if Jesus does not reorient your relationship with mother, father, sister, brother, cousin, soul war, frat brother. If Jesus doesn't reorient all of those things, then I would question the depth of the discipleship. Because I can't, maybe some of y'all grew up like me, I can't be friends with somebody who's the enemy of my folks. Amen. I feel that, that's real. So, you're in this competing situation in which your overall identity and loyalty will then change who you are loyal to and who are you in relation with. Yeah. Yeah. So if Jesus is all the world to me, then it should then change the way that I live and I'll reorient and reprioritize my time with people. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And if not, then we'll call this a discipleship club and we'll just hang out. But we won't call it a church. Mm. I feel you. Thirdly and lastly, Jesus deals with us because he faces off against our fatigue. Hmm. He faces off against our fatigue. Okay. Text says, Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury the dead. He went to a, another and said, the, Lord, the guy said, Lord, I will follow thee. But let me first go and bid my family farewell, which are at my house. Jesus said to him, no man, having put his hand to the plow and looked back as fit. For the kingdom. Same problem as the last guy. He has competing loyalties. I have people in my house. Let me at least go tell them bye first. 
Now, what's interesting is that he said, let me tell them bye first and then I'll go. But he said, I'll go first. So you said, that's like saying, I'll go, but. Yeah. So are you really going? No. No. Are you going? So he said, let me go and deal with my kinfolk and then I'll go with you. Jesus then, in typical Jesus fashion, says, no man who puts his hand to the plow. Now, this hand to the plow motif may be helpful for us who understand a, a bit about farming. Any farmers, anybody of the agricultural variety. So my family is of the soil. So this concept means something to me. So that when you know when you're plowing, it, it's two things about plowing. Okay. You got to bear it down on the plow yeah. so that it will actually dig in the dirt. But then you also got to focus straight ahead so that your rows are even. True. Because if you are distracted, then your rows are uneven. Therefore, you have made a one day's job, a three day's job. I knew I had an amen somewhere <laughs> in here. So imagine the fatigue of starting out, doing something, committing to something, but then something happened along the way in which the grip on the plow gets slack. The, the thought of more work makes it slack. The heat of the day takes your energy off what you're trying to do. So now your rows are starting to weave. You're tired of bearing down on this thing that's so hard. Yes. But you have to bear down or otherwise you're not getting deep enough to be able to give the seeds a chance. Mm. So now imagine this man. I want to go, but I have commitments. I'm torn between. I'm starting, but I'm already kind of tired because this fitness for the kingdom, being fit is not about muscles. It's not about being able to bench 400 pounds. This fitness for the gospel is about being able to see it through to the end. Now, how can I, being that man, look at Jesus, who in a few chapters is going to meet his end, and then look at this same Jesus yeah. and say, man, I'm tired, man. I really can't. I really can't do that. I want more to give me, Lord. But this is all I'm going to give. Mm. Now, I know there's some people here who are feeling the slackness in their hand. How you have toiled to build a church and to build a community and you toil to raise children and grandchildren as you toil to carve out a future here on this patch of land and you're like Lord my hands are tired because they've been on the plow for so long Lord I've been fighting black folks and white folks trying to keep my hand on the plow Kid, folk, and cousin. I'm trying to keep my hand on the plow. Lord, I need some strength. Yeah. You faced off against the things that are keeping me from being faithful. But Lord, what do I do? 
How can I make sense of what's happening? The old folk would say, you got to make sure that your anchor hold and it grip the solid rock. Now I know today that your grip may be slack. Yeah. And I know your frustration may be high. And I know you don't know what the future may hold. Your kids left and your grandkids left. I don't know what the future holds. People are doing this and people are doing that. I don't know, Lord. But what I can tell you is that the same God that was with you then is with you now and will be with you in the future. Now, that may not mean much to some of you, but considering how far the Lord brought me to get here, I can't even worry about the future because the past was so long I shouldn't even be here in the present. So I don't have to worry about the things ahead. I don't have to worry about what people say. And I don't have to worry about what they do. This is what I'd like for you to do. And if I never see you again, may the Lord bless you good. But if I get a chance to see you another time around, I would like for you to tell me what it was like when this community fixed its faith and set its face on something and turned this entire area around. Oh, come on, come on, come on, come on. I didn't drive all the way out of here just to say hello. I came out here because I believe God has something to do out here. This church still stands because you keep showing up every week. This church keeps standing because God has blessed this place. So I refuse to not preach and tell you what thus says the Lord. This place has to change. Who else will change it but you? Who else is going to hold on to the proud with you? Look look around, my sister and my brother. This is the team. This is the team. Jesus looked at those disciples and said to them, look, this is what I have. I have a thief, a tax collector, some fishermen. I got some wanderers around. And I'm going to turn them into the most audacious apostles the world has ever seen. So if such is the case, what is in this church space is sufficient enough to turn this entire area upside down. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, yes. Embrace the danger. Embrace the destiny. And know that Jesus will face the future with you all. Amen.